Good morning again, gentlemen and ladies and, la- and lady. Um, so this is uh, it's great for us to be one of the kickoff events for GIC. Those of you who showed up yesterday and volunteered to help in the parking lot, thank you so much for doing that. There is, a, if you missed that opportunity, there's another opportunity Sunday 6:30. We're going to be packing everything back up. PM 6:30 PM. I guess since this breakfast starts so early in the morning, 6:30 PM on Sunday. And uh, which parking lot is it that you want to mount? M&M. M&M. All right. And so uh, won't take long. I promise it won't rain. Really not up to me, but I can make the promise. Um, I am thrilled that everybody is here this morning. And um, I'm Eric Stevens, by the way. If you've not met me, if this is your first time, when you signed in, if you would, I put tried to put a column. Let me know it's your first time. We try and reach out especially to those who are new. We had 16 new people here last Last month, and I am grateful to see a lot of full tables this morning. And I want to thank Bob again for filling in so heroically. With uh, when you're missing, when you're missing a main player, you, you know you got great people when it gets done anyway. So if you didn't get a biscuit and you want to go to Hardy's with me afterwards, just the bus is leaking. No, I'm kidding. Um, so my job this morning is really to introduce other people who are going to introduce other people. So you're going to have to pay attention. Uh, we got started a little late, so I'm cutting your table conversation a little short. But we want to have plenty of time to hear about Bible translations. And so Aaron, who is responsible for GIC, if I'm overstating that, that's my fault, not hers, um, is going to introduce two of our guests. But be on the lookout. There might be people you've not met before on campus this week that are not going to be on campus any other time this year. So if you see someone who looks a little unusual, take a moment and find out that you're unusual, too, by introducing yourself. So um, I'm grateful everybody's here, and I'm going to turn it over to Aaron. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for allowing me to be here with you this morning. Um, really, really excited to introduce some of our um, speakers um, that and missionaries that are here from literally around the world. Um, I, I want to note to you... Um, Paul and Celebrity Steve is here. <laughs> they are here. They got here 12 hours ago from Kenya. So can we just say, like, thank you, and, and we love you guys. Um, we're going to hear from them throughout the Global Impact Celebration um, a little bit more as the days go on. But this is our kickoff. This is kicking off our Global Impact Celebration right here, right now. Um, this entire celebration is surrounded about, around injustices. Um, we don't really talk about injustice. Really, we, we talk about justice and we get political, but when it comes to the injustices that are around the world, those are the reasons why ministries exist. Um, we have injustices, the refugee crisis, marginalized people right here in Roswell and around the world. Um, we have people who have never heard of the Bible. You know, if you think about it, that is the greatest injustice of the entire kingdom, is not having heard the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and so we have two awesome guys with us this morning. We have Dave Eberhard right here, and we have Ray Gonzalez in the back. And you're going to have the opportunity to hear from them. These are men in business. They are men in the education realm. These are just men who have dedicated hearts and have allowed God to use the skill set that they have to bring the word of Jesus to people literally all around the world. So um, I'm going to just start with this quick video that can kind of, you know, tune into this video and hear what it is that needs to be said before we kick off. 
And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then finally the end will come. I was thinking today just what you would read about if you would get out a file of newspapers for the last 50 years and see what the world has called the significant events during that time. I have no doubt in the annals of heaven that one of the most significant events of the last half century has been the explosion of Bible translation, which has brought the Word of God to hundreds of tribes and languages. And much of this is because of the vision and genius of Cameron Townsend. He was a university dropout with an urgent desire to serve the Lord wherever the Lord should be. And this should encourage many of you that are thinking about going into this type of ministry, that God can take a dedicated heart and consecrate it to His service and shape the world. You have to face squarely if your talents and your gifts and your training prepare you for Christian service. In fact, it might be said that Jesus only had two birds. Come and go. Come unto me and go into all the world. Go out quickly into the streets and into the lanes. Go out into the highways and hedges. Go into the vineyard. Go into the village. Go into the city. Go into the town. Go to the lost sheep. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Go, 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 go. Go ye into all the world. If you profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have that command and you have to face it and you have to do something about it. We have been commanded to deliver a message to every one of the four billion people who live on this planet and especially the hidden peoples with no written language. And we have a responsibility to see that every language has the word of God written in it. Wow. Yeah, what a way to start off the Global Impact Celebration, right? There are, and they will correct me because I will probably butcher this, but there are 1,600 languages around the world with an asterisk because there are more than that, um, that do not have the Bible written in their language. Can you imagine? It, like, it's hard to even fathom what that looks like in our life because we have the Bible on our phone, we have the Bible in our car, we have Billy Graham, we have wonderful pastors, we have it on our iPad, we have like 15 Bibles at home. Can you imagine? Um, so will you guys just help me and welcome these guys? Ray is going to come share with us first, and Dave is going to um, share his experience in Bible translation. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. Um, man, you guys have partnered with us for... 15, 16 years, and we just love you. You guys have loved us, and we just really appreciate it. Uh, we are Ray and my wife, Terrell Gonzalez. You'll see her in the video in a, in a few minutes. But uh, we are with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators and an affiliate of Wycliffe called The Seed Company, and we do Bible translation. Uh, not everyone in Wycliffe does Bible translation. <clears throat> in fact, most of the people in Wycliffe don't, but we all have that same goal that everyone in the world should be able to understand the Word of God in their own language. 
my wife and I started doing translation among the Chuvash people in Russia. Uh, they don't speak Russian as their first language. They may uh, know it as their second language, uh, but they certainly don't speak it in the village. They only speak it in the main city. Uh, Chuvash is a Turkic language, so it's close, more closely related to Turkish uh, than it is to Russian or even English. Uh, it is just a completely different language family. Um, <clears throat> it was our privilege to work with some amazing people there. Uh, and uh, now the two million Chuvash people now have God's word in their own language. Uh, the churches have exploded. When we first got there in 1993, there were probably two churches, over 25 people. And this is, once again, among a people group of uh, of about 2 million. The number of evangelicals there would be about uh, one-tenth of one percent. There are villages and towns uh, in the area of uh, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 without one known believer, uh, and without even access to God's Word. But now they have at least access to God's Word. Um, after we had, had gone there, uh, one of the main, let's say, religious leaders <coughs> of the area um, wrote an article in their main paper saying, uh, you know, all Americans should be kicked out of the area. And uh, since there were only four of us at that time, there didn't take us long to do the math and realize that, that guy's talking about us. Um, uh, but uh, they did not want to cede, uh, let's say, control or authority to individuals reading God's word. They wanted the authority. They wanted to be the main priest between God and man. Um, but, you know, we, we got to know him. Uh, he turned out to be just a really great guy, and um, uh, after we had completed, or after the translation had been completed, uh, he was the main catalyst to make it mandatory for all Chubash kids to read God's Word in their own language every day at school. Each elementary school got a copy of God's Word, and they opened every day with a reading of God's Word. And it was because of the Holy Spirit working in that man's life that people can now understand God's Word. And now, those two churches of over 25, uh, there, there must be 25 or 30 churches over 25. And the church has exploded. So thank you for, for partnering with us. Thank you for uh, being a part of Bible translation. Uh, my wife now works <clears throat> primarily in, in Nigeria. I just heard this morning that... Um, uh, Boko Haram, which is a terrorist group there, has kidnapped more girls there. Uh, they kidnapped um, a large group about four years ago. If you remember the Bring Back Our Girls campaign, that was there. Um, uh, my wife goes over and uh, um, works in a workshop setting with a number of different language groups. And one of the language groups there... Um, uh, is actually the one that's uh, persecuted by the Boko Haram and the group that lost a lot of the girls. And the main translator was one of the teachers that called the girls back. So this guy had lost uh, nieces, had lost cousins to the Boko Haram, kidnapped by them. Humanly speaking, you would imagine that he would, you know, he would want them dead. 
but to hear his prayer for those people is just amazing. Because he knows they are not the enemy. They are slaves to sin, just like he was, just like I am, just like you were before you understood the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So he was praying for their salvation. And that's what God's word does. It takes us from our own human carnal selves and it gives us a glimpse into redemption. Um, <clears throat> so um, what I want to do is show a short video because a lot of people say, well, what, like, what's the process of Bible translation? Like, like, how do you guys even start? Where do you go? What, what do you guys do? So here's a short video that just talks about the process of Bible translation. A lot of people ask us, so how do you even begin to start translating the Bible into another language? Well, it's quite a process, and it's one that we take very seriously. Step one, where is God working? The first question is usually, where should we begin a new translation project? Now, of course, every people group needs God's word in their heart language, but some places are more ready than others to begin a translation. That's why we do our research upfront to be the best stewards of time, management capacity, and financial resources. When selecting a new language, we research the total number of speakers of the language. Are there mother tongue speakers that we can train to be translators? And what are the challenges? Are there geographic or infrastructure issues? And how is the religious and political environment? Is the local church community prepared to help us take on the task? And most of us, is there potential for outreach or are there church planting opportunities? Step two, what's the best approach? So when good soil is found, and I just mean a language group is identified, how do we proceed? Well, in our experience, no language translation ever has a one-size-fits-all approach, so we have to <coughs> customize our strategy each time. First, we'll work with the local church to identify the most needed sections of scripture that will have the most immediate impact during the project. We'll look for the most culturally appropriate media that will place scripture into hands and hearts. This might mean using tools like the Jesus phone, oral storytelling, audio scriptures in sign language for the deaf, and of course, the printed scriptures. Our translation team will look for organizations and individuals who are passionate and willing to help us. We'll develop a project plan, a schedule for translation, and then create a budget and a training regimen for our translators. Step 3. One word at a time. Once the plan is in place, we plant the seeds by beginning the translation process. Many of the languages that we work with have never been written down. They come from oral cultures that pass down their languages through stories. In this case, we help translators analyze their own language, create an alphabet, and compile a dictionary. Then the translators analyze each verse and put it into the words of the local language. Now that involves much more than just translating words. It's super important that the meaning is clear as well. Next. We run it through community testing to see how well others understand the translation. After making any necessary corrections, the scripture is translated from this new text back into a major language for an outside consultant to review. And finally, 
The translators prove every word, every phrase, every tone, and every mark to be sure that there are no errors before publication. Step 4. Get the word out. We don't wait until the entire Bible is finished to begin giving God's word to people in their heart language. They need it now. That means, whenever portions of scripture are completed and printed, they are distributed. When audio recordings are made, they are made available for listening. We might show the Jesus phone or have Bible storytelling groups. Anything that can be shared as soon as it's translated has immediate impact. Now, of course, there are lots of moments that we celebrate along the way. Publications of Bible stories, the dedication of each gospel, and screenings of the Jesus phone. When a translation is finished, the translation team invites partners who have prayed and invested in the project to join them in a great celebration of what God has done. Attending the dedication of a New Testament or a complete Bible is an amazing cultural experience you will never, ever forget. Step 5. What's the result? We get a lot of questions about how you measure the impact of the translation scriptures. <laughs> We're pretty curious about this too, so we assess this information continually from the start and report on it quarterly to both our financial and prayer partners. We look at the challenges, what the continuing needs are, and how the scripture is being distributed. This also helps us look at how we can do even better on the next project. But the best things to share are always the amazing stories and personal testimonies of people who tell us how the scripture has touched their lives and their communities. All God's people desperately need His Word. So we partner with God to plant the seeds, till the soil, and wait for the fruit. Once it is harvested and distributed, it continues to grow and multiply changing hearts and lives. When all is said and done, God promised that His Word will accomplish that purpose for which He has sent it, and that's a guarantee from God. And I said there that no project is, no two projects are the same. We can vouch for that. From our time working in Russia to my wife's time working in Nigeria, uh, she'll be going to Bangladesh in a few weeks and then South Africa. Uh, I've worked in Latin America some, and no two projects are the same. Uh, Dave Eberhard will come up in a minute, and I'm sure his projects are completely different uh, because each language group, each project, each person is different. Uh, but the goal is the same, that uh, people will get God's word, uh, in their own language, be able to understand it. Uh, and I'll just end with this uh, short short video, uh, and then Dave will come up, um, and then we'll take questions after that. But uh, this is just a short video of um, one time when my wife went to Nigeria. And one of the coolest things about this is uh, there are a few Nigerians uh, dancing and praising God because they have completed portions of God's word. And it might not be the entire New Testament, although the two projects that she's working on are so close. One is finished with the entire thing. It's being published. And uh, the other one needs one or two more rounds of, of uh, checking. But when they even get a portion of God's Word, it, it is amazing to see them rejoice over it. It is amazing to hear the pastors 
who maybe came to faith through another language say, I'm going to preach on this on Sunday. So once again, thank you for partnering with us and enjoy, um, and, and enjoy this, this short video. I've just returned from Nigeria from a Bible translation workshop. <coughs> the purpose of the workshop was to translate the book of James in all 20 languages, all simultaneously. And then there were additional goals that different teams had. In the case of our team, we were hoping to finish the book of John as well. <coughs> That's our co-worker, Gombo. And this is in Joss, Nigeria. It's like the NIV. Okay, good. Yeah, All right. So the two like the NIV in the house, and you just read it the normal way. The team started celebrating each time they finished a chapter with a spontaneous dance um, and a song of praise. That's the most delightful translator's passion for God's word carried us well into the night, long past the time when the generators had run out of fuel. Sometimes they have to use their cell phones to light their keyboards to continue working. We started the <clears throat> chapters of the book of John and very happily at this time at around 117 PM, we have finished the book of John. <laughs> and that's a wonderful one. So we went Amazing videos, weren't they? Pleasure to be here. Uh, my wife, my name is Dave Everhard, and my wife is Julie, and uh, we have been with Wycliffe for about uh, that's close to 30 years now, and uh, 22 years in Brazil, and the last uh, four years in, in Thailand. And uh, it's uh, that journey has been an experience. Uh, the years in Brazil, we were translators, so we were doing what this this uh, video was depicting, doing the translation, uh, there was in a situation where there was really no one we could train to do the task. So nowadays, in most parts of the world, there's people that can be trained to do translation. So we have local mother tongue translators. Uh, we were in a setting where there was absolutely no school. No one had had any education at all, not even primary school. And um, we tried to do train some mother tongue translators, but it really did not work. So... We were kind of in the, that's the old model of translation, if you will, where the expat tries to do as much work as he can. Um, and, and so that's where, what we were involved in, in, in a program of that nature, which is a lot, lot slower. 
if you can imagine, if you're the one that's having to do all the translation yourself, it's not your mother tongue. It takes a long time. Uh, we were there 22 years. Uh, so local people can do things much quicker, and and but they do need training, and they need some education. Uh, so so that was a different time and a different project, different type of project. Uh, from that, we uh, finished that project and then uh, looked around. What else? Where else can we go as translators? And the work in Brazil had pretty much finished. And so then Wycliffe said, you know, the needs are really big in Asia. And uh, since the Latin America, particularly Brazil, was wrapping up, we ended up going to Asia. Um, we knew nothing about Asia. And if you know anything between Brazil and we ended up in Thailand, Brazil and Thailand are like the opposite um, extremes on every sense of the word. They're just completely opposites, culturally, linguistically, uh, religiously. So that was a whole new curve for us. So we've been there four years, and the, pro, the the task there has been completely different. There, I'm actually teaching at a university. And Wycliffe, in all of this, the types of things that Wycliffe does, one of the things we do is we partner with local universities in some countries to train uh, not just translators, but consultants. The consultants who are training the translators, they have to have a higher level of education and training in linguistics and in the art of translation. So uh, at this university called Payap University in uh, northern Thailand, uh, we train translation consultants and linguistic consultants. So these are the people who do the checking. And there's a checking step, uh, numerous types of checks in translation, and uh, each. And it's better if those people are also mother tongue speakers. So we're in the process of getting mother tongue uh, consultants trained. So we have a master's degree program in linguistics at, at PIAP, and that's how I've been involved in the last four years. So did the translation in Brazil, uh, kind of the old the old way, and now we're teaching mother tongue speakers in, in Asia to do the translation themselves and to be consultants in the process and, and train their own people. Um, it's been a joy. Uh, one, one, uh, one example I'd like to share, one of my students, uh, her name is uh, Misriani, and Misriani comes from, the, from West Timor, and Timor is just sitting just above Australia, and she speaks the Hilong language, and before she ever came to get trained as a consultant, she had already been a translator. And many of them, that's the case. They've already done their own translation. And so she, when she was 16 years old, she was on the first committee to do the first translation of the Helong New Testament. Um, and it just totally changed her life. She was just incredibly moved by that experience. But the interesting thing was that there was, when they f- finished the translation, they didn't, the churches, the pastors were not really excited. There was already some pastors, some churches in the area. They really weren't really excited about using it. And they would talk to them, and and they didn't hadn't weren't buying into it. They're using Malay, which is uh, well, they're using uh, Bahasa Indonesian, which is uh, the language of West Timor, which is part of Indonesia. So they weren't sure how to break that barrier. Well, they uh, she got a phone call from the governor of her state, and the governor he was a Helong, and uh, he said, "I want to, I've heard about this translation, this committee that translated. And I heard there's a young girl." did the translation. So he called her to his governor, to the governor's palace. And so she went there and uh, she showed up and uh, she handed him a copy that, that, this, that they just finished uh, publishing. And he thanked her and she said, would you, and he was really excited because he's a Helong speaker himself. And he says, my people need this. She said, would you be able to tell the people that? So she had a little, she had the presence of mind to bring a recorder with her, a little audio recorder. So she recorded the governor giving his own little personal testimony that he was a Helong and he 
was convinced that this is the book that his people needed. So she recorded it. She took it back home. She put it on the local radio. Everyone showed up for the translation uh, dedication, and the thing just took off. So different strategies, right? There's even governors can be involved in this kind of thing. So distribution is an important is an important aspect. Anyway, she she came to Payap, and she's now trained to be a consultant in all of Indonesia. So she's uh, consulting other and training other Bible translators like herself. So this is the kind of uh, of building capacity that's needed in different parts of the world. Um, and Asia is a big, there's big needs in Asia. Uh, I wanted to, to just uh, finish with one little think, thinking a little bit more abstract about, a little, on a bigger, bigger plane here, about language itself. And then we'll take some questions. How about that? We got, what, what time is it? We got a little bit of time. Um, let's just think about this word here. Languaging. What does that word bring to mind? You ever heard that word? I think you made it up. <laughs> what would this entail? What what comes to of, mind with this, huh? The study of the study of language. How does it differ from language? It's a verb. It's, it's a, a verb. It's a process. Yeah. It's a verb. <clears throat> Billy Graham talked about verbs, didn't he? They talked about come and go. Language is a verb. The word language is a noun, but the essence of language is a verb. It's a behavior that we do. Language is not something you can grab a hold of. It's not something that resides in your head that you can locate specifically where it is. It is something we do. And that doing of language, we language, I'm languaging right now. We are languaging. And that languaging, it's important to understand that it's a verb. And the reason for that is because its essence is not about nuts and bolts, about consonants and vowels, about Verbs and nouns, that's not the essence of language. The essence of language is about relating. It's relationship. And relationship is a verb. Right? Just like love is a verb. And so missions, when we talk about language and missions, I, I just kind of want to draw a bigger picture here. That It's not just about trying to get the right words on a piece of paper. And Bible translation is really not just about that. That's involved. That's the pro- part of the process. But it's much bigger than that. To have the word of God in a language because it's about languaging. It's about reaching out. It's about touching. It's about relating to people. Uh, and I wanted to, to just try to mention three ways in which language is related to missions. So let's think about that. So if you're thinking about language itself and how it's implicated, involved in the task of missions, not just Bible translation. I'm talking about missions in general. What are three things that come to mind? So... There's probably one that's very obvious. Why do we need language in missions? Communication. Communication. Okay, so communication is obvious. We need to communicate. We have a message to communicate. Commun... Man, I can't even spell. It's too early. It's English today. Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) That is the problem. I get mixed up with a lot of stuff in my head. Communication. So, communicating... um, Actually, let's, let's make that a verb, too. Communicating. So communicating the message. Language is awfully, obviously important. What other, there's other reasons though why language is important. Understanding. Understanding the Understanding what? The, what the people are communicating. Being communicated. Okay, right. Okay, let's put that together with this because that's, well, no, let's put it down here. That's good. I, I, uh, these two, these two are, are tied together, right? Communicating and understanding. So you communicate something, obviously you want someone to understand it. 
But obviously, these are key components in language and missions. But there's others. Relationships. Relating, right? Relating. And this relating is is a huge part of what language does. And I guess if I say anything at all this morning, I just want to mention this point, to think about this, that relating languages, it's, it's not just about the communicating. It's deeper than that. So uh, if you ever talk to somebody that speaks another language, have you ever been in another country and learned like one word how to say thank you? Have you ever done that? What does that do when you say thank you in their local language? What does that do? You see a connection, right? It op- starts to open a door. Um, and, and the way that I look at language is language, if you do not know, if I'm trying to talk to Roger here, and if he speaks a language I don't know, that language is a wall. <laughs> those sounds that he is speaking to me, those vowels and consonants, are gibberish to me. I do not understand it. It's a wall of noise. Language can be a wall of noise between us. And he's on one side, I'm on the other. But what happens when you start learning a language? You're taking bricks out of the wall. You start taking these bricks out. Pretty soon you can see through. You make a window. I can see Roger. And you keep taking those bricks out and you make a door. That's what language learning is. That's how fundamental it is that we focus on language. When we're trying to do cross-culture communication, that we don't try to use or just rely on interpreters or just rely on people that can speak English, but that we learn the local language because it's the doorway into their world. And only through that doorway will I be able to relate. So that's a, that I think is the biggest thing I wanted to share this morning. What time is it? We've got a few more minutes. Yeah, let's do some QA. I, I'm done. I, I don't didn't have anything else to say. Q, Q&A. How yeah. long does this process take in general? Just I know it takes to a translate a New Testament or a Bible. Yeah. Well, it's going to depend on which kind of process that uh, when the locals. Well, seed company. Once you have a seed company, I think it's, it's probably better equipped or has a, a yeah, more I mean, timely organized in that. Sense. Yeah, I mean, if the people are are literate, that's one big step. But any time from. Five to twenty-five years. Yeah, yeah, that's probably good. yeah. So that's a big range, and that's why we said it depends on the strategy. So when you have mother tongue people doing all the work, five years is kind of five to seven years is yeah. kind of a norm. When you have expats doing it, it can be ten, twenty years. Yeah. So, so Dave, uh, given related to Tom's question, how long does it take, and then how much work is there to do? We used to have a database of every single language, mm-hmm. and and said, well, we need to complete this so that everyone has to word. Yeah. You told yeah. me there's a little bit change in thinking there now. Yeah. Could you explain that quickly? Yeah. Um, yeah, we had lunch one time. I, it, the, the 1,600 languages where Aaron was quoted, there's 16 to 1,800, somewhere in there, of languages that do not have scripture. But, but that does not mean that every single one of those needs scripture. So I just want to let that sink in. Just because a language doesn't have scripture doesn't mean it needs scripture. So there need, there's a process of evaluation. And, and what would be some of the reasons why a language would not need scripture? Very few speakers. Few, very few speakers. Numbers, the actual numbers is not that important, but it's who is speaking. Let's think about that. Who, who do we want speaking a language so that we're going to do a translation? Young people. What happens when there are no young people speaking the language? It dies. It dies. So if you, if you are in a language where you have, say, I, I was in Bukan, in the middle of Malay, Malaysia, Borneo, the island of Borneo, part of Malaysia. We went to visit a place where they were, Wycliffe was, had already assigned a couple to go there, a Korean couple. 
They're all excited, but they said, there's something that's not quite right, and we don't know what it is. We just don't feel right about it. So we went and visited it. We were there two nights and spent two days and talking to all the people, did some activities with them. And one of the activities, I said, well, who is the youngest speaker of your language? Well, the youngest speaker was in their 60s. The youngest speaker. And that's not bad for some of you. (laughs) 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 Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) So, So anyway, so with that, it became quite clear that that language was not going to be around that much longer, right? Those 60-year-olds will soon be 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds. And those young people, what, what does that mean? When the young people aren't speaking the traditional language, it means they're speaking a majority language. It doesn't mean they don't have a language. It means they're speaking something else. And typically, it's a majority language. They were speaking Malay. It's a big, huge language that has scripture, that has resources. So that's, that's what happened in the Bukan. And we realized that in this particular place, they were already using Malay. In their, in their services, and that would have an impact. Why? Because that's the only language the young people spoke. And the goal is that people understand the right. word of God. And they were understanding, and there was having impact. So, that's just, so, of the 1600, there's a lot in that situation. It's not a few. Language shift. It's called language shift, where minority speakers are shifting their allegiance and they're, they're learning to speak a majority language and leaving behind their traditional language. That shift is happening all over the world. And so it's it's a new thing that we in Winslow are having to assess. In the past, it wasn't that big a deal. There wasn't that much shift happening. So in the 50s, um, there wasn't as much contact with with minority groups with the majority groups. But now, with globalization, the contact with big languages and little languages is everywhere. And they are being pressured to join the larger language uh, conversation. Of course, what our approach is, you know what? You can have them both. The, the, the most... Uh, appropriate responses, bilingualism, stable bilingualism, where they can speak their language and speak the majority language and have the benefit of both. But many of them have passed that point and they only speak their own language, the, the majority language now. So, so in those, those are places where translation is not needed. Yeah. Quick question. You, you, you reference the New Testament a little more often today. Do you generally start with the New Testament first or do you start from the beginning of the Old Testament and move on? Each, each program is different. We started with Genesis just because it's good to have a broad picture of who's God, who is the creator, right? Kind of sets the background. Uh, and then from Genesis, we jump to the New Testament. So there's a little bit. But this program is different. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to start with portions of Genesis portions. and Exodus. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. And, and a lot of people do portions. And, and we did that as well. They filled in portions. Yeah. Dave? Yeah. I'll take one more question, and then they'll stay after. And just okay. All right. <laughs> Can I just, okay, you go into an area, and the, the children and even... Young adults don't read. Mm-hmm. Don't. So now you've got, finally, you've printed everything, but they don't read. So along with your translation, is literacy. there reading and teaching? Yeah. Literacy is a big part of this. Yeah. You must have literacy programs as well as translation programs. And, and there might be some cultures that uh, in which the majority of people will probably never read. There's that too, yeah. And so we still want them to understand God's word, so we have to come Oral. up with different strategies. There are also people who, many language groups, Anywhere from four to six hundred now, I think it's the latest number of deaf languages in the world. Yeah. And they can't read it all normally. So we have to come up with a translation <laughs> for them as well. Yeah. So video and oral stuff and stuff on recordings. Yep. Are you yeah. ever translate hymns? Uh, yeah, I can talk to you about that. <laughs> <laughs> Music was actually one of the biggest things that made an impact where we were. Yeah. Could I finish with this one little thing? Really, yes. really quick. <laughs> this is kind of, this is kind of cool actually. Yeah. 
we we had done in Brazil. We did a translation, and we did a lot of the stuff we did was not used. And this was back before we'd asked these questions about who's going to be using scripture and the and age of people speaking and all that. And uh, so I, I had scripture, a book of Luke, and no one was reading it. And we did all this literacy, and no one was reading it. <coughs> and then we translated a few songs from from Portuguese into Mamãe and the young people took that. And it was one night of translating. One night of translating 16 tunes. They are still singing those songs. I was there this this summer. It's made an incredible impact. Just music. Strong yeah. stuff. Yeah. Can you guys help me? I don't know about you guys, but when I think about these injustices, not having the Bible, without this knowledge that this is happening, it feels pretty hopeless. The refugee crisis feels hopeless. Modern day slavery feels hopeless. People that don't have the Bible, it feels hopeless. And it really reminds me of Ezekiel 37 and the Valley of Dry Bones, right? It's just destitute, it's it's barren, and it seems like there is no way, but we know better. You know, we we have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And these guys, and Wycliffe, and all the Bible translating um, organizations around the world, Divine Providence, they are taking the hope of Jesus into these places in the world. And that is something that when we hear injustice, we need to tune our minds to think injustice, hope, injustice, hope. Not injustice, political battle, stance, I'm right, you're wrong. Injustice, hope. Um, And this is the first time I get to tell you guys about an awesome thing that we are doing starting today, going until Sunday. We are going to be taking hope into the world. Um, You can put that first slide up. Oh, of course it's difficult. Do you want to pass those out for me? That would be awesome. You turn that one of the lights on. Uh-huh, let's see. Um, RUMC is taking hope into the world. This isn't new news. You know, we've been doing this, but we have an opportunity right here, right now, to take hope into the world. We are taking hope to the refugees in the Middle East. This is a letter written by Rochella and William Mood. Over here in the corner, we have the opportunity to send medical and ministerial supplies next week. Next week, sending money to send these supplies to send hope to the refugees in the Middle East. The next picture, many of you might recognize Honduras, Lunches for Learning and Missions in Action. We have the opportunity right here, right now, to send hope to these children and families who sometimes can't be in school because they need to be in the field and they need to be picking the food and making money, and so therefore they're not educated. The injustice of education because they are too poor to become educated. This third picture in the middle, we have the opportunity to send our finances and send hope with this money. You guys, this is the coolest thing. Talking about the persecuted in Egypt, we have missionaries. You know, the Basalis, we are partners with the Basalis. They are working on building a hostel in Egypt to ha- to house college students, women that are in Cairo trying to be educated, who are being kidnapped, who are being persecuted, whose families are being persecuted just because they want to be the best version of themselves. And so our missionaries that we have are building this um, hostel right now in Cairo, so that they can come and have a safe place to be, and they will be ministered to in Jesus Christ. This truck, 
This truck is everything to these two guys right here. If you're familiar with the water project at Divine Providence, we're working to send money and to raise enough money to be able to send the hope back with these two men to purchase this truck that will then take the water from the new well into the community. Money will be generated, come back to Divine Providence, to train pastors, to send to the nations, right? Lots of steps, but it all comes down to this truck. If we can't get that water out, we have clean water, and that's about it. Amen. Women and children right here in Roswell. This is the Drake House Village. They have built this new village right up the street for women and their children to live and to come out of homelessness right here. So we have this opportunity to do all of these things We are trying to raise $75,000 in four days. Big goals, big dreams, big God. And I really believe that we can do that. Um, You all have this in your hand now. These are some graphics for just 2017 what this church has done. Almost a half a million dollars in missions. This isn't your regular tithing you're offering. This is above and beyond. This is the Global Impact Celebration Pledge. All of this money goes to fund and support our missionaries, to do all of these things. The pledge that we make every single year um, allows the Bible to go around the world. Um, So that is what this does. You can look at it a little bit more, but I want you to turn it over just really quickly. This is something that you'll see every single day here this weekend if you're here, and you'll see it again on Sunday, so don't feel you have to do anything with it right now, because I think it takes some time to pray and to, to lean into what God's calling you to do. You can pray. You can pray for these missionaries. You know them by name now, and you know their faces. You can pray. We can study. We are called to study. We are called to study at the feet of the Lord. We can serve. We can go out into the world. We have opportunities right here. We're going to Peru, to Kenya, not because we have anything to give, but because we're we're willing, and God can consecrate a willing heart. And this give now, these are the things we can do right now. We're trying to raise that $75,000 to fund these specific projects to send hope into the world. Um, There's blue envelopes on all of your tables. If you feel led to give right now, you know, obviously it would be wonderful, but there's a way you can do that online. It's rumc.com slash GIC give. And on that website, there's more information about each of these things. Um, And it's important to pray over it. How... How much can I give? How how can I be a part of this? And let us know which one you're most interested in, and we'll get you tapped into that one. And the last thing is how are we going to stay tuned to missions here at the church? And that is through our pledge. We're pledging beyond this give now. We're <laughs> pledging beyond what we're going to tithe on Sunday. This is your tax refund. This is um, extra money that you weren't planning on getting. This is saying, Lord, I'm trusting you with this. This is going to the greater outreach of Roswell United Methodist Church to take Jesus and the Bible to the world. Um, so just be prayerful about this. We're going to, um, you'll see this again on Sunday, but this is just a really important part of our church. Um, there are churches all around that do missions. They do it well. Um, I think we do it really well. <laughs> Not to toot our own horn. I really do. Most churches spend about 6% of their money on missions. We spend double that. And that is seen right here. And it's because of generous hearts and generous givers like you all. People that want to be involved. 
Um, and so I just, I thank you guys for allowing us to be in your space this morning. And I really encourage you, there's programs on your table. We have stuff going on all weekend. If you really loved what you heard and you really liked Ray and you want to meet his wife and Julie, um, Dave's wife, we have an opportunity this weekend on Saturday night at George and Mary Carr's house. They're going to be there, and you can sit and talk to them all you want. Um, we need to love on our missionaries. They have come here to be with us. All these people we pray for, they're here with us this weekend. Let's love on them, you know? We pray for them, but let's really spend time with them. Until we spend time with them, that's when we start breaking down those walls and we get to know the heart of who people are and the heart is Jesus for all of us in this room. So thank you guys for being here. And I just, can I pray us out? Absolutely. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to sit in your presence, to be in your house, and to be in community with one another, Lord. I thank you for your your word. I thank you for those that have dedicated their entire life to making you famous to making you the point and the center of who every single person was called to be. I thank you for their time and for their passion and their compassion for those who do not yet know you. Lord, be with us and stir our hearts in a way that sets our soul and our life on mission with you. Bless these men in this room. They are the men of this church, and we need them. We need them to lead our church towards you. Keep us safe and keep us grounded in your love. We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, who knew? Uh, Erin got here this morning and I felt for her. She's got a million moving parts today. She's had Stephen and Paul flying in last night. These guys have been here this week. One of them had to stay at Dave, uh, at, I'm sorry, Roger's house. And, um, had to build a wall. I know there was a wall he had to build and had to, anyway, I, I am grateful to have such energy in this room and that we get to kick off GIC this week. Uh, take a minute and get to know Stephen and Paul and Ray and Dave. Remember these faces. Remember what they're doing. It's such a privilege to get to see them in the midst of their lives come and touch ours. And so uh, um, there's a 6.30 Sunday evening volunteer opportunity that's perfect for men as we load up the trucks. And so uh, hopefully we will see you all there at 6.30 then. And um, I'll send out the links that were just described. If somebody you know needs to see one of those videos, we'll try and get that posted real quickly. If you want to share that with somebody this week while the activities are still going on and get them to an event, that that would be a wonderful invitational thing to do. So uh, good morning, and I'm glad that we got to start our day together. Thanks to everybody. Yeah.